Good morning. How are you? You look good. That sunshine did everybody well yesterday, I think. It was lovely. Um, it's great to have you here today. If you're watching online with us this morning, it's so great to have you join us. Also, whether you're watching it live or watching this service later in the day or in the week, we hope that it's a blessing to you. Um, maybe if you've ever bought a car, you've had the experience of researching the car, looking at it, looking at the make and the model and the different trim lines and kind of doing all of your research. And if you have the experience I've had, then a little bit later in the week, you've been driving around and suddenly you realize everybody has the same car that you've been researching. You suddenly start to see it everywhere. When you start thinking about these things and they're on your mind, you notice them everywhere. Um, it's all about seeing things. When, I was, when our kids started playing the sport of rugby, I'd never really known anything about rugby and never been to a game before, and I didn't understand any of the rules. And then I remember standing on the side of the field, watching them play, having no idea what was going on. I kind of thought, the purpose of this sport is to break as many of the other team's limbs as you can, drive them into the field, and the more blood, the better. That was kind of what I thought was the purpose. But then as I stood beside other parents who were familiar with the sport and they started explaining things to me, I started to see something new. I was seeing the exact same play, but it didn't look like chaos anymore. I could see plays developing. I could figure out what was a good play and what was a bad play. And I started to see things that was unable to see or comprehend previously. Some of you have done personality tests. Maybe it's Myers-Briggs or DISC or Enneagram or something like that. And as you've done those tests, you suddenly start to see yourself and the people around you differently. They're the same people. They're acting the same way. They're responding in the same way as they have before. But now you've got new eyes to see things that before you couldn't understand or were hidden to you. Well, we're starting a series today on parables, which are essentially these unique, crafty, um, sometimes annoying little stories that Jesus would tell his followers that would help us see things that are right in front of us that before we could not see at all. And the thing that Jesus wants us to see more than anything else in his teachings on the parables is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the reign and the rule of God. It is where God's will is being done. It's where God is getting his way. And what does life look like? What does earth look like? What do churches, what does society look like when God is getting his way? Now, when we think about that, we always think about the future. We think about, oh, someday in heaven, God is going to get his way and everything will be set right once and for all. And we have these images that come to our mind from the scriptures, which kind of point our, our attention to the future. Uh, we talked about one of them a few weeks ago at International Sunday, where we talked about Isaiah chapter 2. This vision of all the nations on earth streaming together to the mountain of the Lord, to be in the Lord's presence, that all people would gather together to worship Him and call Him their Lord. And then on the way, they would take their weapons and they would refashion them into farming tools. That there was going to be this transformation someday where the fighting will stop and people will recognize the Lord for who He is. Then we think of those verses in the book of Revelation where the writer describes a time when there's going to be no more tears, no more sadness, and no more death. And we think about these passages which paint a picture of something that is to happen off in the future. And then Jesus shows up. 
And Jesus says, I've got some really good news for you. All of that stuff that you've been thinking about and dreaming about and longing for, can't wait for it to happen. It's going to happen now. And it's going to happen here. And it's going to happen for you. Think of Jesus' very first words out of his mouth. His very first words of his very first sermon found in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. Uh, proclaiming the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God, that thing way off in the future, it's come near. So repent, change your thinking, and believe the good news. This was Jesus' very first words to his followers, that the good news is that God's kingdom, that future thing that we've all been waiting for, it's now available to you and to me right here today. Anywhere that God is having his way, where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, is a place where we are experiencing the kingdom of God today. Let me give you a couple of examples of as I'm trying to learn to see God's kingdom here and now, even this week, some examples. Um, I think it was Tuesday of this week. I had the privilege of sitting with some of the leaders in our church who run our grief share ministry. Uh, grief share is a ministry that brings people together who've lost loved ones. And it's a ministry where people will come. There'll be some video teaching on the nature of grief. Um, there's some teaching on the hope of, of, of the gospel, and people have the chance to share their experience of grief. And it's about 12 weeks long. And I got thinking about the scriptures that talk about there's going to be no more sorrow, and that the Lord is going to heal our grief. And I got thinking, what's well, going to happen here? Because that's what happens when people come to grief share. Their sorrows get healed. God shows up and meets them in their brokenness and they discover hope to go on. They discover that I'm not the only one that feels this way. They discover that God loves them and is walking with them and providing for them each and every step of the way. And I suddenly thought about the kingdom of God is going to show up across the hall in the youth room starting in September for people. It's going to come here for them. I was thinking about our community outreach work. Meets on Tuesdays and Thursdays, part of it down at River Cross Mission. And let's just be honest. One of the messages of our culture is that if you don't have money, you don't matter as much as other people. That's just one of the things that our culture has chosen to believe en masse. That if you don't have means or money, you don't matter as much as people who do, right? And whether we agree with it or not, it's part of the fabric of North American culture. Well, we get to create a space where the biblical truth that everybody is created in the image of God and everybody has equal value is lived out. As we join together for a meal, people gather together around tables, they share, they pray for each other, they encourage each other, they get to use their gifts and serve other people. And in that spot at 211 Main Street on Thursdays and, fr or Tuesdays and Thursdays, the kingdom of God is realized in that space because God's will is being accomplished there. We are living out the kingdom in that time and in that space. And it's our hope that even this morning that God's kingdom will be here as we worship and put Christ central to our lives, as we acknowledge the glory of God, and as each of us take opportunity to think about surrendering those unsurrendered parts of our life to Him. 
where we turn over our lives and give God reign and rule in our lives, then the kingdom is experienced in our lives also. But we have to learn to see it. We have to learn to see the way God is working in the here and now. It was hard for the disciples, and it's challenging for us. One of my favorite stories is uh, Jesus is standing in front of a large crowd, and he's teaching the parables. And his disciples are kind of standing there beside him, like his bodyguards or his entourage. And they're kind of standing there, and you know, when he's done, he's like, go away, we've got a four o'clock show, we need you all to get out of here. No food today, that's another day, you know, leave, leave, leave. And then Jesus and his disciples go off to the side, and the disciples are like, Tell us what that parable meant. We had no idea. It was so confusing to us. We didn't understand any part of it. And Jesus tries to explain it to them again. Because it's hard to learn a new way to look at life. It's hard to learn a new way to see what's going on in our lives and in our world. And this is what Jesus was wanting to do as he communicated to his followers through these unique little stories called parables. Now, we're going to talk about parables right on through to the summer. We'll have some interruptions along the way, and we're going to be going through a lot of them. And as we do, we'll kind of give you little tidbits about what parables are and aren't. But let me just share three really quick things this morning as you kind of think, what is a parable and kind of what makes it unique? The first thing I would say is that, uh, you know, when I grew up, people said a parable is a, it's an earthly tale about a heavenly truth. This was kind of, uh, which is partly true. But I think actually the opposite is more true. They're heavenly tales. They're stories about the kingdom of God. They're stories about what God is like, what it's like when he gets his way in the world that helps us understand this life and the life that he's called us to here. And they can be disorienting. I mean, let's be honest. When we read through some of the parables, you're going to stop and say, that's nuts. That's foolish. What Jesus is describing is foolish. You can't live that way in this world. You'll get chewed up and spit out. No one will respect you. You'll never get ahead. You can't live the way that Jesus is describing in the parable. I mean, who plants seeds and just takes them and throws them everywhere and doesn't care if they get on the sidewalk or if they get on the streets or they go into any earth at all? Who does? You can't farm that way. You'll be out of business in a year. And you can't show up to some person on the side of the road that you don't know and help them and then just leave your credit card and say, look, I'll pay for all of his expenses to get well. I'll come back and get it later. You can't do that. No one lives that way. As we go through these parables again and again, we're going to be struck that what Jesus is describing in these stories is so different than what our lives are like and how we live and how we see things. There's going to be a gap. And my homework for you, heads up, is simply going to be this. When you recognize as you read these parables a gap in your own life between what Jesus is describing and what the scriptures are describing and there's tension there, step into it. Step into it and sit in it in that moment and let the parable do its work in your heart. Second, parables don't just have one meaning. They're kind of like a diamond. You keep turning them and looking at them from different angles and you see new things. We'll do that even this morning as we gather to the communion table. And finally, parables aren't complete stories. They leave you hanging. They just kind of tell you part of the story, and you're kind of left to think about and reflect on what really happened in this. How does this end? I mean, think about the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, the father has two boys. He gives them his inher- their inheritance. One goes off and wastes it. 
ends up in the dumpster, kind of repents, comes back to dad. Dad throws a party to celebrate. Oldest son, who's been home and faithfully doing all the good work all along, is angry at dad's generosity to the younger son, so he leaves. The parable's over. We don't know how it ends. I mean, maybe the older son wises up, softens his heart, comes in, embraces his younger brother, and they have a little moment. Maybe. Maybe he walks in and he pops the younger son right in the nose and said, well, you were off, you stressed dad out. We don't know. I think part of these parables, they don't have endings because Jesus wants us to keep reflecting and thinking and wrestling and asking kingdom thoughts and kingdom questions and working through these scriptures again and again in our minds. Leaving us comparing, God, you're describing life this way, but my life is this way. How do I reconcile that? What do I do with all of that? So we're going to jump in. Matthew chapter 13 today. We're going to look at two tiny, tiny parables um, found on page 1519 if you're using the Bible in the seats or you can look them up on your phone. Matthew chapter 13 starting at verse 44. I'll read them both and then we'll spend a few minutes talking about them before we gather uh, around the Lord's table this morning. Matthew chapter 13 starting at verse 44. The first parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Parable number two. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and he bought it. Now, Matthew uses the language kingdom of heaven versus kingdom of God, which you'll see in other parables in Luke's gospel, because Matthew was a good Jewish guy writing to good Jewish people, and they were very sensitive around using God's name in vain, and so he talks about the kingdom of heaven, but it's the exact same thing as the kingdom of God. In this first parable, it's about a farmer, and a farmer is out doing what farmers do, the faithful hard, honest work of farming. And I have farming in my family too, and I can tell you, it can be very monotonous. The work of farming is just going out and doing the same thing all day, just in different fields, and doing it again and again and again, year after year. But this day, something happens. The farmer is going along, plowing or whatever, and there's a clunk, and they find something in the soil and takes a look at it and realizes he has won the jackpot. He's found a treasure. Now, when I was eight, I lived next door to Blake Uselman, and Blake Uselman was really cool. He was 10. And Blake came from a family of seven. He was the youngest. And um, Blake's older siblings were really bad and mean. They used to steal his money all the time. And so Blake hatched the scheme one day. He said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take all of my money, my pennies, my nickels, my dimes, my $1 bills, yes, it was a thing, my $2 bills, yes, also, and I'm going to put them in this jar, and I'm going to go out into the garden, and I'm going to bury it. And so Blake got to the end of his grass, and then his garden began, and he paced off a number of steps in one direction, and paced off a number of steps in another, kind of made note of it, dug a big hole, and put his jar of cash into the ground, and said, there, these kids, my siblings will never steal from me again. Well, then a few months later, the fair came to Saskatoon, <clears throat> and it was time to go to his earthly, his earthen bank account and make a d withdrawal. 
And so Blake stood at the end of the grass and looked at the garden and thought, was it 10 feet out and then 5 feet? Was it 5 feet out and then 10 feet? Did I go to the right or do I go to the left? And he dug and he dug and he dug and he never found it. And we went out there and one day we were laughing about the thought that there's going to be a day someone's out there planting potatoes or digging up weeds and they're going to discover this treasure. Now it's only going to be probably $9 in total value at the end of it. But the whole idea of discovering a treasure that you didn't anticipate finding. The farmer was not looking for the treasure. He was going about his daily routine, doing what he was supposed to be doing, and finding the treasure was a wonderful surprise, a sacred gift. And Jesus says, some of you know that, because you were just going about your life, doing your thing, going about your daily plan, going about your weekly schedule, following the rules, going through the routine. You were just going about your business. And God surprised you. He showed up in your life. You weren't looking for him, but he was there. And he revealed himself to you. And he surprised you. I think about the story of the disciples who were out fishing. And they were out there fishing and they probably weren't saying, I really hope a rabbi walks by and calls me to leave everything and follow him today. No, they were just going about their business. And Jesus shows up and changes their life. Their eyes were opened. They saw a treasure. They saw something of such great value in the person of Jesus that they said, we are willing to leave everything to follow you. And they do. For some of you, maybe you ran into somebody at work. You have a friend or a family member. Somebody showed kindness to you. Somebody shared their faith with you. And in complete surprise, God shows up. And your eyes are open to something that you had never seen before, the gift of faith and the power of Christ in your life. And now you're here, it's like Sunday morning, it's sunny, and you set an alarm to get up and go to church today. Can you believe that? That God has done all of that in your life over time. But let's rotate the diamond again and keep looking at this story, but from a different angle. Maybe some of you are here today, you say, you know what? I can barely get by right now. It's difficult. I'm toiling away doing the day-to-day -day work that I have to do just to make ends meet, just to survive, just to deal with the things that are going on in my life. And I'd say to you, God is right beneath your feet. He is there. And as you continue to go on faithfully, He is going to reveal Himself to you. The moment is going to come because God has something good in store for you. So this farmer bumps into this treasure. We don't know what it is or how much it was worth, but it must have been significant because he goes and he buys the whole field. He hideously overpays. He could have just bought the section of land that was there, but instead he buys the whole field. So this would be like if you're buying a used car and you go to the used car dealership and you see on the lot one of the cars from the Fast and Furious movies. And you recognize it. You know the dealer doesn't know what he's got on his lot because he just put normal used car price on it. And so you realize, wow, this is a treasure. I'm seeing what nobody else is seeing in this moment. And so instead of just going and buy the car, you buy the dealership. This is what the farmer is doing in this story. He recognizes the value of this treasure, and he wants it so bad, there's not going to be anything that he will do to take hold of it. And an exchange happens, a transaction happens, 
everything the farmer has for this field. Everything that he'd seen as valuable and worth before has now been transitioned and he sees value in this new thing and he's going to embrace it. You probably didn't come here for parenting trips tips today, but let me give you one. Uh, I learned this one early on. The best way to get your kids to do what you want or to give you what they have is bribery. Just plain and simple. If they have something and you need it or want it, like maybe your car keys, and you want it, you just have to bribe them in order to get it. You have to recognize that they hold some value in your car keys. But you have to give them something that they value more. And when they see what is of greater value, they will open up their hands and you can take it from them and do the exchange. This farmer recognizes, I've got something in my hands right now. But I see this field, I see this treasure over here. And I want it so bad, I am going to give up this. I'm going to open my hands to this so I can embrace this new thing. So I can embrace what God is doing in the here and in the now. He weighs the decision and he counts the cost. I think one of the great skills that every person must learn as a disciple of Jesus Christ is how to weigh the cost of things in our lives. This job, my time, this career, this hobby, this relationship, how much weight should it have? How much priority should it have? How much of my life should it own? And the ability as a disciple to be able to weigh and discern that is an important one for all of us so that we can continue to hold on to the most important thing. And in the short little parable, Jesus starts to open our eyes to see our life in comparison to what's going on in the kingdom. And it forces us to wrestle with some important questions, like what really is most valuable to us in life? What am I holding on to that I refuse to let go of? Am I trying to have both? I'm trying to hold on to this and to this at the same time. And Jesus doesn't want us to quickly make a, a rash decision. He wants us to wrestle with this and sit in that tension and be uncomfortable and let the Spirit of God work in our hearts so that we can respond in faith and obedience. The second parable, different than the first. Unlike a peasant discovering a treasure accidentally, this is a merchant and the merchant is seeking for something specific. He knows exactly what he's looking for. Now, merchants in the ancient world uh, were kind of slimy business people. You know, they benefited by taking advantage of you. They would look for a deal and try to take it, as much advantage of you as possible in order to get the best deal to continue to go on and make money. Uh, and interesting, a Jewish commentator made the observation, pearls are found in oysters, and oysters are unclean by Jewish standards. And he wrote this line, to find a pearl, you had to open a few nasty oysters. You must look in a number of dirty places. But the point is, he was searching. And maybe you know this feeling. What originally brought you to church was there was something going on in your heart. You maybe couldn't name it. You weren't exactly sure what it was. But you knew God was doing something and you needed to seek out a solution. You need to figure it out. Maybe you know people who are in a season of searching. It's like there's an engine running beneath the surface of their heart and it will not be satisfied until they find what they are looking for. And they know there's something out there. I just need to find it. This merchant finds it. 
and he abandons his strategy of a diversified retirement portfolio. And he puts all of his investments into this pearl. He leverages everything he has to get this treasure. And now he's a man with a pearl, and that's it. His whole identity is now this pearl. He's given up everything in order to get it. He recognized its value and was willing to give up all that he had. His searching was over. He'd found what he'd been looking for, and his story comes to an end. And I want you to see today that both this parable and the other parable, what strikes me is that God is out looking for us too. He's hiding in the ground, waiting to be discovered. He's there helping, being pursued. He's looking for you today if you are looking for him. And that God is looking to not just come and take something from you. He's coming to give you something that will so fundamentally transform your life, but it is of the greatest value. He doesn't have something just for you. He's looking to bring you into his family and to show you the reign and rule and the difference that it can make in your life today. So Jesus tells these stories for his disciples, hoping that it'll help them to see who he is and what he's like and what he's up to right now, not just sometime in the future. And I think the temptation whenever we get to passages like this is to say, okay, this is the thing I got to do. Okay, good, I'm good, let's go. Get out of here. This is not Wordle. Parables are not just quickly to be solved and to move on. Jesus wants us to recognize the kingdom reality that he's talking about is different from the life I'm living. And to recognize in that gap the tension. And your homework, if you would be so kind, is to step into that tension and live in it and feel it and ask yourself the questions that you need to ask as you think about, what do I really value most in this life? Where am I really most invested? What am I holding on to as the ultimate prize? What am I trying to get the most of? So I did this myself this week, and I was thinking about, as I read through these parables, where was the tension for me? And the the tension was actually found in a little short word called joy. It was in the first parable, that when the farmer found the treasure, he went and sold everything in great joy. Great joy. This word tripped me up a little bit this week as I was reading it. Because I got thinking about giving up everything to follow the Lord and joy. And I got to be honest, there's times when I think about giving everything up or following the Lord wholeheartedly or giving my all. The first response is not always joy. Sometimes it's reluctance. Sometimes it can be resentment. Sometimes it's, well, I'm a pastor, so I should probably do that. But sometimes it's not always joy. And what struck me as I was sitting in that uncomfortableness for a little bit was that for the farmer, there was none of that. He was all in. In fact, I love the... Jesus says, when he found the treasure, he's so worried someone else is going to get it. What did he do? He buried it again. Like, suckers, you're not going to get it. This is mine. I'm getting it. It's all for me. In his mind, he'd won the jackpot. This was not reluctance. It was pure joy. He knew how good of a thing God had given him. And he wanted it at all cost. 
I'm not sure what the gap is going to be for you as you work through this parable, as you let it sit with you this week, and you think about the life that Jesus is describing here in comparison to your life. But I invite you to step into the tension and sit and let God's Spirit speak to you as you wrestle with it. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for these few verses, these little stories that have so much going on in them. And Lord, today we just pray that we will resist the temptation to jump to a conclusion and move on. But we will pray for eyes to see. Eyes to see what you are doing all around us. And eyes to see our own lives in light of it. And Lord, that we would not resist any tension or any feelings that make us uncomfortable as we wrestle with these stories. But rather, we would lean into it because it's there that in faith we can discover the true gift of your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen.